Hey, well, today is Palm Sunday, and traditionally this is the beginning of what is known as Holy Week. And so it's a, a series of events. We have Palm Sunday, and then uh, Monday, Thursday, and then Good Friday, and then culminating in Easter Sunday. The fact, one of the facts that often get missed on this is that this is actually uh, a, a historical recommemoration of the events that actually took place uh, in Jesus' life. So this is not so much a story side of it um, as it is a historical side of it. And uh, we'll start with this picture. This is a very one a rendition of a famous picture of Jesus coming in. We're going to look at that in just a second here. But would you join me in prayer as we start off the morning? Let's give this to the Lord. Father, we give this morning to you. This is a, a time of year. It's one of the two times, really, Christmas being the other one, when even people who uh, don't attend church or have no interest in church will come. They'll come and they'll listen to hear because there's something in our culture that says you should come to church at Christmas, you should come to church at Easter. It's at least worth that. And uh, Lord, we want to take advantage of that. We want to pray that you would introduce yourself to people, that people would um, encounter you, and that, uh, Lord, there would be resurrection stuff that happens over this next week that would be profound and eternal in people's lives. And so we open up our community to you. We ask you to set your eyes on Mill Creek. You know who you're talking to. You know who you're having conversations with. We don't, but we ask that you would steer people this way. And we ask, Lord, that they would um, hear you. They would hear your voice. And so we, we know what that's like, and we long for that for other people as well. And we give that to you with great hope and pray this in your name. Amen. All right. Just think, I want you to think for a second, what would it have been like to actually been there? Not read about it, not talk about it, not... But what would it have been like if you were standing there at that gate, right? And you saw Jesus come through. We have a, a big door and we're going to use this door uh, this weekend on Good Friday and Saturday when you guys come and then also for Easter Sunday. What would it be like if you saw Jesus come through that door? Right? You were there. I want you to think about that. Look at the door, look at the picture, and I'll read the account to you. Okay? Track just what would it have been like to be there. It says, Now when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethphage and Bethany, at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. And if anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it and will send it back immediately. And they went away and found a colt tied at a door outside the street and they untied it. And some of those standing there said to them, what are you doing untying the colt? And they told them what Jesus had said and then they let them go. When they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, he sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. And he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. 
Can you imagine the throngs there and, and people throwing down their coats and laying out branches and as you're riding by, Hosanna, Hosanna, right? And can you imagine that by the hundreds and thousands, we don't know how many were actually there, but it was quite a large crowd and they were all running around, Hosanna, and they were singing, blessed be the coming of the King David, the son of King David, and they were doing this and the sound would have reverberated all through the city, they would have heard it all over. What those in attendance didn't know they really possibly couldn't have known, was that this was actually a funeral procession. It wasn't a coronation. It was a funeral procession. They were hoping for a coronation. And so they missed what was happening. Jesus knew. He had predicted his own death and how it would take place many times with his own disciples. And they obviously missed that part as well. But he had an appointment to keep. The theme of this week is appointed to death. It was an appointment to die. And one of the questions is, through the centuries, is how could they have missed this? And actually, when you look at it, it's actually quite easy. I think we've all had the experience of looking for something and uh, it's right in front of us and not being able to see it. You ever sought for your car keys that way? Right? Or you ever gone looking for your glasses and you were wearing them? Right? That kind of thing. It was this kind of thing. It was right in front of them, but they couldn't see it. Well, how is that true? Well, it has to do with how paradigms are set up for us and lenses that we look at through reality. What? How does this shape the way I'm looking at it? Because um, it's very similar to communication if I'm talking to you and, uh, and, and I'm happy and I'm having a good day and I'm full of joy, but you're having an awful day and it hits your perception filter and you get the sense or the signal or the tone, well, who made you the big happy jello sheriff of the house? Right? <clears throat> right? When you respond back, how do you respond back? You respond back with what, you, what I thought I said or with what you thought you heard. You respond back with what you thought you heard. Right? And the same thing, even when God's doing something, sometimes we only see it from how we thought it should happen, not actually what was happening. Let's walk this trail together. I want to take us through this again historically, just so we can understand this. Let's go back to the beginning. Here's a picture of Abraham, right? And his son, and God said that through his seed, Abraham, that uh, would come God's seed, the Messiah. And so this picture is a very significant one. It's a very important one. Abraham was halted from giving his own son, but it was a foreshadowing of God actually giving his own son. But what's easy to miss in this history lesson right up here on the screen is this. The paradigm was set. And what was the paradigm set? You always get the son back. Right? I actually have an illustration of this when it came time for the Lord uh, in my ministry life to move me from North Shore here to Northview. Uh, I was in the back parking lot not knowing what the Lord had in store. And I was talking to the Lord about it. And the Lord said to me, you have to place Isaac on the altar. And I went, awesome, cool, got it. I know that story, fabulous. And then God came back to me and said, oh, by the way, you don't get Isaac back. That's not how that story goes. I know your word. I've studied your word. That's not how that story goes. And God's comeback was genius. Uh, at the time, I thought it was terrible. 
But it's absolute genius. And you know what he said to me? He said, yeah, and you're not Abraham. Well, that was the end of that, right? Boom. And if you think I'm kidding, I can take you and show you the exact spot in the back parking lot of North Shore where that happened, right? See, my paradigm got blown up because I thought God had to do the way I had seen it play out and that I kind of had him in a static mode and that once he did it that way, he always had to do it that way. Well, that's not true for you or I. Why is it true for God? But we get caught in that. And so um, this picture of the son, Isaac, was really significant though because it, it cemented something. When Isaac was spared, the line would come through Isaac and Isaac would progenerate until the coming of the Messiah, of which then there would be no end. And so they were always looking for one in the line of Abraham and the line of Isaac. If you move a little farther along in their history, we find another situation that sets up the mental framework uh, for this and that uh, for the Messiah. And that comes at the end of the wilderness wanderings. If you remember on, on Good Friday, we'll celebrate Passover and the blood was put on the doorpost and the lintel of the mantle and they were to hide inside and be covered from and protected from the angel of death. And once that event happened, then they walked through that door and they walked where? Out into the wilderness of free people. And so the, this idea here is that uh, Israel was about to enter the promised land. They'd gone through the wilderness wanderings. They'd spent 40 years in the wilderness. They're coming through. And one of the kings, Balak, didn't like God's idea. He didn't think that was a very good idea at all. So he called the prophet Balaam and said, I want you to come and curse this people. Come over here, take a look. You'll see a corner of them. You'll see a partial part of them. They're overflowing the land. They're overrunning everything. If you prophesy against them and curse them, we might be able to defeat them. And so Balaam comes. This is the famous story in the Bible of Balaam and the talking donkey. If you're familiar with that story. And Balaam realizes he's actually cutting cross current against what the Lord really wants. So he's coming now and being much more careful. And in the process, instead of cursing, he ends up blessing. And this is what he says. He says, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. It shall crush the forehead of Moab and break down all the sons of Seth. Edom shall be dispossessed, Seir also. His enemies shall be dispossessed. Israel is doing valiantly. And one from Jacob shall exercise dominion and destroy the survivors of cities. Look at the paradigm this sets up. So Balaam is not a Jewish person. Balaam would be what we call a Gentile or a heathen. And yet he speaks a word of prophecy about what's going to come out of Israel. And he says, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. In other words, he's looking into the future. He's being able to see down the road. And he's talking about this star, this this king that will come and crush the other nations around them and Israel will rise to prominence. So there's always this idea of you'll be put back into first place. You'll be put back on top. And one from Jacob shall exercise dominion and destroy the survivors of the city. So this, in, this prophecy is really important. It gives us some insight into why they misunderstood Jesus 
when he actually showed up. Because Jesus wasn't acting the way that they thought he was supposed to. He was supposed to act much more domineering and much more conquering. Okay, that's a weird word. Conquering? Ah, well. Uh, like a conqueror. All right, there we go. So if you follow this thread through the book of Judges, uh, God raised up warrior kings, right, Who and judges who would rescue and free them. And then, of course, the Messiah is promised through the line of King David. David is Israel's ultimate warrior king. If you want somebody who is the dude, you want somebody who's a stud, you want somebody who's the warrior, it's David, right? David was an incredible man of God, but he was an, also an incredible warrior. And, um, and some of the things that David wrote set in motion this picture of the Messiah as well. I want you to listen along this morning. We'll have it up on the screen. But uh, we're going to have a reading from Psalm 2. Let's look at Psalm 2 and uh, look at what David writes here about the Messiah. Why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in heaven laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now, therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. If you look at this psalm, it sets up a a ruler who dominates. If you look here in some of the descriptions, why do the nations rage? Why do the people plot in vain? They're not going to succeed against the Lord and against, and the key term here is his anointed one. Right? The world says, let us burst their bonds apart, let us cast away their cords. He who sits in the heavens laughs, and the Lord holds them in derision. That's mockery. Okay? It says in derision. And the idea there is that God is laughing at their efforts to run against him. And it says, he will then speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, as for me, I've set my king on Zion, my holy hill. And so they had this picture of the Messiah coming down and literally radiating light and power and energy from Jerusalem. And Jerusalem would be raised up and they would be raised up as God's chosen people. And they would put the matter to rest for once and for all. The argument's over. God has settled it. And God says, you will break them with a rod of iron or an iron scepter and you'll dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. And then it goes on to say, okay, kings, be warned. Be fearful. Be respectful. Because this is what God is going to do. And so they had this picture of a warrior king like David. When we go back to um, when I was reading uh, that story of Jesus walking in on the donkey. What were they shouting? Hosanna, right? 
The son of David. Why was that so significant? Because Jesus, this was the moment. This was coronation. Jesus was riding in and he was the son of David and it was all going to happen right now. And they were shouting. They were sure that this is when uh, he would be exalted. This is when the Romans would be overthrown. And they were in on the biggest party and they were thrilled. Right? They thought they were on the winning side. And because of that, they missed the proverbial other side of the coin. Their picture was one who would throw out the hated Romans and get rid of them. And this kind of warrior king would do that. Much in the line also, if you know their history, in the line of the Maccabees. And so they were excited, but they didn't see the other side. There were other pictures that told of another um, approach, a different Attempt a different, um, a different strategy, if you will, by God. Let's look at Psalm 22 together. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh, my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I find no rest. Yet you are holy enthroned on the praises of Israel. In you our fathers trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me and they wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him for he delights in him. Yet you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breast. On you I was cast from my birth, and from my mother's womb you have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, and there is none to help. Many bulls encompass me, strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me, like a ravening and roaring lion. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death, for dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. But you, O Lord, do not be far. O oh, you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. You have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. I will tell you your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him and stand in awe of him. All of you offspring of Israel. For he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, and he has not hidden from his face from him, but has heard when he cried to him. From you comes my praise in the great congregation. My vows I will perform before those who fear him. The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied, and those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. At the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord, 
and all the families of the nation shall worship before you. For the kingship belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. All the prosperous of the earth eat and worship. Before him shall bow all who go down to the dust, even the one who could not keep himself alive. Posterity shall serve him. It shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn that he has done it. Completely different picture than the warrior king. Completely different process. Completely different outcome. When they were ushering Jesus in and he was coming on the donkey, in their minds that was a coronation. And really it was a funeral procession. Scripture told them about that, but they weren't looking in that direction. It's kind of funny. You kind of find what you're looking for, right? And they were looking for the warrior king. And here in this psalm, written by King David as well, talking about just being shattered. Just being shattered. That my my joints are all out of joint and... And my heart is melting within me like wax. And, and they're mocking me. They're making fun of me. They're, they're disparaging me and yelling at me and finding fault with me. And uh, strong bulls of Bashan are attacking me. The bulls of Bashan were bulls that were raised on the other side of the Jordan River and on the Dead Sea. And they were known for their size and fierceness. And, um, and bulls are just something you don't mess with. I grew up on a farm with them and you understand that. And he was saying it's like a herd of bulls were coming after him. That's how strong the opponents were. They were just, uh, there was, uh, just overwhelming him. And this whole idea of, um, I'm shattered. There's no one to help me, uh, and and troubles near, and crying out, please don't be far from me. And that the picture there that I think is most poignant is I, I'm poured out like water. Right, if you just take a cup and pour it out, it says that's my life is just being poured out like water. This is a very different picture in Psalm 22 than in Psalm 2. You shall rule them with an iron scepter. I'm poured out like water. And in Jesus, both of those pictures are right, and both of those pictures pictures exist. There was another one that they missed. They missed it because of it was a piece of their history that uh, went the opposite of the way they thought their history should go. In their mind, God was always to rescue them and that his name was forever in his temple and his eyes would always be on that temple and God would never allow uh, his temple to be raised. As a matter of fact, when Babylon, the Chaldeans came in, when Nebuchadnezzar came in and they actually burned the city down, when it came to the temple, it says that the Chaldean army went in with their swords and their axe picks raised like this because they're afraid the God of heaven would attack them and strike them dead. Because the legend had grown that this place could never be conquered because it was the home of the great God, the God above all gods. And so when Isaiah was prophesying and saying, this is all going to get torn down, this is all going to be shattered, you're going to be exiled, uh, he wasn't exactly a prophet in great favor. We think of Isaiah as one of the great ones, and he was. But the people listening to him didn't like what he had to say. And as a result, legend has it that he got sawn in two for his prophecy. Right? And what was he prophesying? Well, he also was giving a counter picture, a different picture than the Psalm 2 picture. 
Let's follow along. We'll be in Isaiah 52, but just listen. We've got it on the screen, but um, just listen as, as we read through it. Catch the tone. Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind, so shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him, for that which has not been told them they see, and that which they have not heard they understand. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant, and like a root out of the dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people. And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hands. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. And he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many. And he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. So the end of that passage talks about this incredible role that the Messiah would play and the incredible freedom and forgiveness of sin and things that he bring. But the beginning of it talks about somebody who's absolutely shattered, absolutely crushed, uh, beyond the appearance of man that you could even recognize him. And it talks about 
this person being uh, absolutely devastated, crying out, where are you? Why have you left me here? And it also says that um, he was oppressed and afflicted, and yet he didn't open his mouth in self-defense. If you're asking me one thing I think is astounding about Jesus, it would be that one. That knowing how unrighteous and knowing how unfair the accusations were, that in self-defense he never kicked back. Right? I kicked back pretty quick. I don't know about you. I sense there's some unfairness going on. Uh, the fact that he didn't say anything. And it says that uh, you couldn't even recognize him. But out of that would come something that they had always wanted. See, they, they didn't have a picture of the warrior king being crushed. They had a picture of the warrior king being victorious. And he would be, but not in the way they were looking for. Not in the way they had anticipated. But only after he had made a sacrifice for their guilt. See, they were looking for Jesus to get rid of the Romans because in their mind they were okay. So if Jesus got rid of the Romans, they could go back to being Jewish and they'd be back on top and everything would be great. You know, doesn't that sound pretty similar to how we think today? If Jesus would just take care of stuff around here, then we could go back to just being Americans and it'd all be great. Because as Americans, we're pretty good. But this says God anticipated something way deeper. He anticipated taking care of the guilt that we carry. And we carry guilt, why? Because we sin. We sin in our tongue. We sin with our words. We sin with our actions. We sin with our intentions. And he knew that weight had to be lifted and had to be taken. And so Jesus rode through that gate. Would you have ridden through that gate? I don't think I would have. I think I would have got to about five feet of it and had the donkey take a U-turn. All right? I don't know about you. I'm going to call the worship team up and get ready to close the morning out and we'll worship the Lord together. But the biggest picture that they missed, there's one more. There's one more key picture. And the biggest one they missed came right out of their own history of God freeing them as a people. Behind me, you see a door, and we'd like you to come back on either Good Friday or Saturday. Please sign up so we, we know that you're coming, so we can anticipate how many tables to set out. But uh, they, the story of God freeing them as people had to do with this incredible event called the Passover, which foreshadowed many of the things that would happen with the Messiah. And they were very familiar with the Passover. As a matter of fact, when Jesus was being executed, they were sacrificing the Passover lamb at the same time. Incredible symmetry in all of this through history. But there would be a sacrifice. We're going to walk through on Friday some of the most incredible symbolism that was prophesied about Jesus as the Messiah, not having to do with the Passover lamb. The idea that the blood was spread on the mantle so that they would be protected when the angel of death came over, they would be able to live. Likewise, the picture we'll celebrate on Easter is that Jesus is that Passover lamb 
And because of His shed blood, our sins can be forgiven and we also can live. But do you remember uh, John the Baptist? Remember when he first saw Jesus? Do you remember what John cried out down there on the Jordan River? Remember, uh, he, he was echoing what we see in these pictures. He said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away what? The sins of the world. John cried that out because that was the right picture. Jesus had come to take away the sins of the world, not just help the Jewish people get back to prominence, but to help their sins and the Gentiles' world sin. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. We're going to look at the correlations between that and the Passover lamb. Jesus was going to provide a door. He, he talked about that he was the door, right? He was the gate, and the sheep came through the gate. He takes away the sins of the world, and it's a door that people could walk through. So this week, what I'd like to ask is just to take some time and contemplate these things. I wanted to read through those passages because they remind us of the pictures. They remind us of what God's done. Take some time this week. Maybe go back through them yourself and maybe spend some time praying. Slow your week down. I know our weeks are busy. Anybody have busy weeks, right? Just, right? Mine was crushed this week, but, but full. But take some time to contemplate. It's called holy reason for a week. You're supposed to stop and think through, appreciate, grasp the depth and the power of what God had put in place and to appreciate the unbelievable opportunity that we could be saved of our sins and have a relationship with them. It is like nothing else offered on this planet. It's being mocked. It's being derided. It's being all these kind of things. And yet we know that He will return. Just as He came once, so He will come again. And so we're going to close out this morning with worship. I want you to anticipate Good Friday. For some of us, that will be Saturday as well. And then Easter Sunday. And we will talk about Restored to Life. Would you join me in prayer? Lord, these are some incredibly powerful pictures. They're not new to us. We've heard them many times. And life is a strange mixture of things. Yesterday, I was part of a funeral and a wedding on the same day. An amazing mix of joy and grief, all in the same picture. Lord, and that's what your last week was like. It's an amazing picture of sorrow and grief and shattering, culminated with an incredible uh, amount of joy and ecstasy and uh, hallelujahs. And you hold that tension well. We don't. Would you help us this week, Lord, as we stop and contemplate? Would you bring out appreciation in us? Would you bring out honor in us? Would you bring out value, your value to us? And Lord, as we come into this week, speak to us. And Lord, we pray uh, that your eyes will be on Mill Creek. We believe you're having conversations with many people. We believe you're talking to people. And Lord, they might not know how to find here or one of the other fellowships you have. We pray that you would lead them this week. It's one of the weeks people are open to coming. May you fill this place out with people wanting to hear a word. And Lord, we, we seek you for that and ask for that in your name. Amen.